0: Hi, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Let's Get It Started Ha edition. As we get you set for Sunday's home opener at Paul Brown Stadium, as the Bengals host the San Francisco 49ers. Coming up, you'll hear three conversations. First, I'll talk to my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham, as we look back at last week's encouraging yet ultimately disappointing one-point loss at Seattle and look ahead to Sunday's game against the Niners. I'll also sit down with the number one graded center in the NFL after the opening week of the season, according to Pro Football Focus, Trey Hopkins. We'll discuss his play, who deserves the credit for dealing with the crowd noise in Seattle, and I'll offer him the opportunity to make a few extra bucks. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the San Francisco 49ers from somebody who knew me when I had a full head of red hair. It was glorious. But that will not come up in our conversation. All of that is straight ahead. But first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the Rewatchables podcast. I love movies, and I love podcasts. As a result, I have sampled a bunch of movie podcasts, including some that have been highly recommended. I have found them all disappointing. Until I tried the Rewatchables. It's a simple concept. The hosts go back and rewatch a movie that they all liked then discuss it. That's pretty much it. The hosts are interesting, they always have some great nuggets, and most importantly, they're really funny. So if you love movies, look up the Rewatchables podcast. Just pick out a movie that you like from the list of available episodes and give it a try. You will not be disappointed. Now let's get to football. So how big is Sunday's home game against the San Francisco 49ers? Well, let's put it this way. NFL teams that open the season 0-2 only make the playoffs 12.6% of the time. That's it. Nearly 9 out of 10 teams that start the season 0-2 don't make it. 1-1 teams, on the other hand, make it 41% of the time. And even if you think it's way too early to even think about the playoffs, then consider this. All the enthusiasm and optimism generated by last week's showing at Seattle will be seriously dampened if the Bengals lose at home to a team that hasn't finished with a winning record in the last five years. Time to discuss all things Bengals with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lap through one week, Andy Dalton leads the NFL in passing yards with 418. But he is also tied for first in batted passes with four. Is that a relative lack of height? Is that too much push allowed by the offensive line, or is it just bad luck?
1: I think it's a combination. You know, in 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 certain cases, Andy isn't the tallest quarterback in the world, so the push becomes more of an issue. Um, If you can, you know, see over guys and throw over guys with that height. It's, it's a little bit easier. Sometimes you have to change your arm angle as a quarterback, too. You have to change your arm slot, try to throw around guys, but like De'Veon Clowney, if he gets close to you, it's like trying to throw around an octopus. I mean, the guy's got such a huge wingspan, it's really hard to get the ball around him. And the one that Clowney got early in the game was set up nicely for big, big play. Who knows? Maybe even a scoring play. So, you know, th- those are ones that are, that are tough to take because it's like, man, it was perfectly set up and a guy makes a, makes a play like that, but a lot of times it, the the defender's so close it's hard to change your arm angle and change the slot to get it around him and you just have to you just have to hope. Um, and then throwing in amongst these, you know, trees in the defensive line when you're not throwing screen passes, just throwing the football. He's had a couple of those, you know, batted down at the line of scrimmage. That's um you know, timing by a defensive lineman, just getting his hand up in the throwing lane at just the absolute right time. The quarterback's already in a throwing motion, you can't change it, you know, and he just happens to you know, stick his big paw in the right spot at the right time. So I think it is a combination of all things.
0: Lap the NFL's highest-rated center, according to Pro Football Focus, after one week of the NFL season is Trey Hopkins. He gave up one pressure in 49 pass-blocking snaps, and he also had their highest run-blocking grade. How about Trey?
1: You know, I, I, I don't know where to begin with Trey Hopkins. you got to tip your cap to this guy because uh, – <laughs> think of how he got into the league undrafted free agent out of Texas um Paul Alexander gave him an opportunity he he showed well at training camp had injuries you know he had broken ankle had other things to deal with and uh he just showed enough to oh we got to develop this guy we put him on the practice squad you know and he's got long arms he's got some some potential and the thing that you can't measure you can measure brains, you can measure intellect, and he's off the charts in those categories, both in general and football-wise. But you can't measure a guy's heart and his and his desire and want to. And Trey Hopkins st- plays very low-key. You know, he's he's very cerebral, and he's um, you know he, he's not a rah-rah guy. He's uh, but the dude wants to be the best. He competes, and he does it very quietly within his own realm. You know, Trey Hopkins. Wants to be better than anybody at, at his craft, whatever it is. Whether it's playing a musical instrument, what he can do, he can play multiple musical instruments. Teaching kids, um, you know, that that says something about him. For his off-season job, being a substitute teacher, you know, and uh, it, it, he's he's just a very very special guy. When you're when your two line coaches that you work with on a daily basis immediately are impressed with you to the point where they call you a football savant. That's that's high, high cotton right there. That's big time praise. So, and I think the way that, that Trey Hopkins presents himself, personality-wise, his teammates love him. You know, they, they he just he, he's one of those guys that can uh, can fit into any situation, can fit in, in into any kind of environment because he's very uh, you know adaptable, amenable in his personality, his approach. The guy has a lot going for him, and I couldn't be happier for any player on the Cincinnati Bengals than for Trey Hopkins. So.
0: so that was the good news as far as the offensive line was concerned in Week 1. On the other hand, Pro Football Focus said Bobby Hart gave up six pressures and a sack, Andre Smith five pressures and a sack, Michael Jordan and John Miller did not great, get great PFF grades. Now, just pointing out one thing in the system, that does not take into account the quality of the opponent, and the Seattle Seahawks have an excellent defense. But what did you think overall of the line play?
1: Well, I think two things. Quality of the opponent is, is a factor. And the fact that they threw it over 50 times, I think, is a factor. You, you look at percentages. They are looking at just raw numbers. You know, um, the, I, I I like sack, per, sack ratio per pass attempt. And I'm not saying that they were great. But I'm saying that uh, basically Seattle lined up in a defense that said, you're not going to run the football. So – I said you're gonna to have to throw it to beat us, and Zach said, "Okay, we'll throw it to beat you," and they almost did. But with that said, when they know they're throwing 50 over 50 times, pass rush becomes a big, big deal—a much bigger deal. Now Zach tried to still on first and second down incorporate, you know, pl- uh, play action stuff, screens, which you know take the pressure off of just sitting there and dropping back and pass protecting. Uh, but every time you face third and five or more, third and seven or more, you're, you're in a bind. I mean, they're, they're coming after you, and they do have some talented pass rushers. But uh, did they have, you know, outstanding games? Well, you're not going to say that. But were they pretty solid? The other thing that pro football doesn't focus, doesn't take into account, is the venue you're playing in. They're on the road in one of the loudest venues. That is another factor, and it's much, much tougher to pass protect. And the fact that they didn't have, you know, uh, illegal procedure penalties jumping penalties and and before the snap and all those sort of things I think was a a big plus now on the raw numbers you know pro football focus is going to grade the way they grade but there are extraneous circumstances I mean there, the environment uh, the conditions of the game uh, the opponent that you're playing against the quality of the guy you're lined up against you know I mean just raw numbers can tell one story but there are subplots to the story in, uh, in every game in the, in the National Football League. That's why some people have major issues with pro football focus.
0: Right, and over the course of time, some of that stuff will Correct. equal out, but in a one-week sample, it doesn't take it into effect.
1: And if you're in a division where you have butt-kicking defensive linemen, you gotta play them twice a year. So, I mean, you know, 6 of your games are against the best, in other teams in the league won't it won't equal out you know or if you're in a division where there's a bunch of terrible defenses you're Patriots. gonna dominate yeah <laughs> exactly you're gonna <laughs> dominate those pro football focused grades are like and I don't know how you try to make it an equalizer you know you just you just try to factor in whatever the best you can but uh it, it is I mean it's just strength of schedule you know is talked about all the time why not strength of opponent that you're trying to you know trying to work against is a is a factor in your performance in a football game at any any point
0: I thought the Bengals had three clear-cut stars in week one. John Ross on offense, Sam Hubbard on defense, and Lou Anarumo. Let's go back to when he was hired. People were killing the Bengals. They're on their 89th candidate to be defensive coordinator, which obviously was not the case. But did Zach Taylor wind up hiring a creative, great-teaching defensive coordinator?
1: Well Zach Taylor, uh, in the press conference after the game, when he was asked about Lou Anarumo, said I wasn't a bit surprised. You know, when I coached with him, you know, at Miami and he was the interim defensive coordinator. You know, he they played for him. They played hard, they they were they knew what they were supposed to do, they knew how to do it. Lou Anarumo is a, is a, is an impressive teacher. And over the years, offense, defense, special teams, whatever you're talking about, I found that the the best coaches, the, the coaches with tremendous success, make things that look extremely complicated very simple with their rules and what they ask you to do and how they ask you to do it. And that's Lou Anarumu, his defensive players. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, you know, on their plate in terms of, um, you know, maybe different looks and formations and window dressings and things like that. But when when all said and done, when the snap of the ball happens, they have rules that, that are very simple that they live by. And, uh, you know, the... The adjustment that uh, Wilson and Lockett made on a route uh, was was very, you know, was that's the NFL. Those guys, there, there wasn't any, from my understanding, there wasn't any blown assignment as such. They just took advantage of the way they were playing a coverage, and neither guy played it maybe the best that they could have in terms of allowing that, that big play. But um, it, at some point in time, you have to tip your cap to the opponent. They get paid too, and, you know, Wilson is a guy that is capable of making adjustments probably as well as a lot of coaches in the NFL and he and Lockett made an adjustment that resulted in that 44-yard touchdown pass so um, you know that's that's the way that's life in the NFL but you know these numbers are are crazy Dan when you look at what what Lou Anaruma what the the defense uh, uh, did in the football game 49 snaps number one When's the last time the Bengals' defense only had 49 snaps? The last two years, they've been on the field more than any defense in the NFL. They, they, they led the, the, the league in, in snaps played two years in a row. 49 snaps? That's a vacation. On Monday, those guys, they were, they were done with the tape in no time. They <laughs> didn't have anything to watch. Six three and outs. Yeah, six three and outs. 49 snaps, 233 yards of offense, 4.8 yards per play. Now, they did give up three yards of, uh, three plays of 20 yards or more, a 48-yard pass, a 44-yard touchdown pass, and then and then that 21-yard run that they had on third and one uh, at the end of the football game that when Carson leaked out. You know, that can't happen. But you take those three plays away, which you can't because, you know, Seattle did it, but 46 of the 49 snaps, they were pretty darn good. On those 46 other snaps, 126 yards offense on 46 snaps – yards per play i'm not talking about that would be unbelievable per rush we're talking about russell wilson at quarterback are you kidding me russell wilson to me dan in, in this game had the had the most crazy quarterback rating of 130 plus i've ever seen because they bottled his butt up but he ended up with two two big plays 44 48 yards one of them a touchdown and you know, Russell Wilson ends up with a quarterback rating of you know 136, and like Russell Wilson won the game, and you look at on a snap by snap basis, the Bengals defense played him as well as anybody has. That's the NFL, though. It is one crazy world. It's a, it can be a heartbreaking business, and that was a heartbreaker that game.
0: I never thought I would say this. I thought there were times in the second half where Russell Wilson looked like he was seeing ghosts.
1: Yeah, I, they had him confused. They had him. I'm not sure if he was confused. Maybe is too strong a word, but definitely hesitant. Yes, hesitant for sure. I mean, he was not the, the the decisive Russell Wilson that you see. And 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 the the thing that they did so well, I thought, was we always talk. We were talking all week about you have to defend the second part of the play when he's off schedule and he's you know creating and extending and all that. They didn't even let him hardly get to that. They had him that the the five. Uh, men rush when they when they u- utilize that, the three inside guys, in my mind, should get as much credit as the edge rushers who got the sacks. You know, Sam Hubbard got a couple, and uh, Carlos Dunlap had one, where Lou Anarumu matched them up on a tight end. Butt kicker. You know, Drake Kirkpatrick, free runner, unblocked, sack. So Lou schemed a couple. But then, you know, you have Sam coming off the – but the three interior guys stayed in their lanes and got a push where Russell Wilson couldn't duck up underneath. And, you know, do the magic that he does. So they, they did a great job If everybody stayed in their rush lanes and, and had a team pass rush that ended up in multiple sacks. So I just thought that the the, the scheme was unbelievably sound. I thought the execution of the scheme was, was extremely sound. I mean, those three interior pass rushers, they're, they're not going to get any plaudits, but they did their job as well as Hubbard and Dunlap did. That's, that's the way it works. If he has nowhere to go up between the tackles, the defensive ends are going to eat and they ate we've spent a lot of time talking about what Zach Taylor's
0: offense might be able to do for Joe Mixon and I think over the course of 16 games and hopefully more this year Joe Mixon will wind up having great numbers maybe we should have spent more time talking about what Zach Taylor's offense can do for John Ross
1: yeah very true and and when you think about it you know John Ross did not have a whole lot of time to sync up with Andy Dalton obviously because of the hamstring issue. Now, they 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 had they, they worked together in the offseason with OTAs and mini camps and things of that nature, but when John had that, that hamstring issue in a walkthrough the very first day of training camp, you think, oh, my God. But, you know, the numbers he put up, um, he was he was targeted, I believe it was 12 times. He had seven catches. He should have had two more. should have had nine catches for probably close to 200 yards or more he could have had if he, if he caught all the balls that uh, – you know, a couple of drops. The the other three really didn't have a chance for, but th- this guy, s- his speed is, you know, almost incomparable. And the thing about him, he does have the quickness too. He he can make guys miss. He does have short space quickness. A lot of guys have short space quickness and then can't stride it out. Some guys the opposite don't, have, you know, have short space quickness, or, you know, the reverse. He has both. He, he has both. He can make a guy miss and then run away from you. Some guys c- can 't do both of those things, um, and he's you know he's he 's a capable route runner, so the thing that 's interesting now san francisco Oof. we got we' got to do something with this guy Tyler Boyd things tilted I thought to Tyler Boyd a little bit in Seattle, and Ross took advantage now you know what 's going to happen how are they going to tilt it? Are they going to e- tilt it equally? some here to Boyd, some here to Ross? Wait till a j Green comes back when you think about all the All the things, you do a laundry list of 12 things in that football game. If any one of 12 things, maybe more, had gone the other way, the Bengals win a one-point game uh, that they they lost by a point, I should say. They win that game that they lost by a point. All they need was two more points, (laughs) you know. And the number one on my list was if A.J. Green could have played. But you can say that, every team can say every week, geez, we're missing a great player. But they are missing their best offensive player in that football game. What would have happened if A.J. Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd, were in that game together against Seattle, the way they decided to line up and stop the run. In my mind, the biggest reason that Pete Carroll did what he did is because A.J. Green wasn't in the game. He said, your best pass threat is on the sidelines. I'm going to put the, load the box up and say, go ahead and beat us, throwing the football with the guys remaining if you can. Almost pulled it off. But I think it's sound, a sound thought process by Pete Carroll. You know, you're missing your best weapon. And, uh, man, when he comes back, showing what the other two have shown they can do, we'll see.
0: Let's talk about Sam Hubbard. He was in the game for 43 snaps, 10 tackles, two sacks, two other quarterback hits.
1: Is Sam Hubbard a budding star? I think he is um, because of – I mean, he's talented physically, but he, it's tenfold because of the way – he goes. I mean, he plays so hard. When you watch him every snap in practice, he's going like, like his hair's on fire, and that's the way he played in the football game. I thought one of the biggest tributes that I saw to, uh, in, in training camp to Sam Hubbard, Nick Eason um, said to a rookie defensive lineman, he pulled the rookie defensive lineman over to him and he said, look, if you want to make it in the National Football League, do what that guy's doing. He pointed to Sam Hubbard. He said, emulate him. Do everything he does. What he does in the classroom, what he does in the locker room, what he does in the football field, do what that guy does. That's, that speaks volumes when you, when you have your coach, you know, buying in like that. And I, th- I think his teammates, his teammates respect it. And, and he's starting to bring other guys with him. Other guys are starting to move and hustle like uh, Sam Hubbard is, and that's a, that's a contagious thing.
0: The Bengals host the San Francisco 49ers this week lap, led by quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo, who is and 9-2 in 11 NFL starts, including a win last week at Tampa Bay. But he looked a little bit shaky coming back from ACL surgery. Are the Bengals catching Jimmy Garoppolo at a good time?
1: You know, when you look at it, Dan, 11 starts, I mean, that's really virtually a first-year quarterback. I mean, he's, you know, seven, this is seventh year, I think, it is, or sixth year, or something like that. Jimmy G's been around a while, but of course, he was the backup to Don Brady forever, so you're not going to get any snaps over there. He's just over 800 snaps in his career as a starting quarterback, so he's just scratching the surface. He had that 5-0 and run and got a ton of money, you know, <laughs> because of that, but... I think, you know, I, I know they, they like him in close games. They're four uh, 3-0 and with him in games that they've won by four points or less, and they're 1-9 without him in the same situation, games four points or less. So they, they believe in him, you know, as a quarterback. And I think he is, a, you know, an excellent quarterback. But I'll I tell you what, if Lou Anarumu comes up with something uh, similar to what he came up with to, to frustrate Russell Wilson – I think Jimmy Garoppolo can be had in terms of, you know, now you see me, now you don't. now That's not really what you're looking at. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what Lou does, what the next step. When you do something like he did in Seattle, you have to have step two, step three, step four, because they have tape on it now. Obviously, you can't do the same thing. You're going to have to tweak it and fine-tune it, and that's what the 49ers are trying to figure out now for Jimmy G.
0: They use the fullback more than any other NFL team that used to be the norm now most teams don't even carry one because it's unusual
1: how much of a problem does it present yeah it's you, you do have to you do have to factor it in it's it's the West Coast offense you know and the West Coast offense throws to the fullback you know I remember the first time we faked the ball to the fullback and then threw it to him defenses couldn't believe it you know it's like okay well it's a fake to him so you know we're gonna. We don't have to worry about him. Well, shoot, he's a receiver, and uh, the fullback plays a big role in the West Coast uh, style of things. And Shanahan, I think, is a big believer, you know, in, in the West Coast offense. And uh, yeah, it, it does. It changes. It changes your approach, how you handle, how you handle, uh, you know, the running game. We'll see what kind of adjustments Lou Anarumu makes in terms of personnel configurations, formations, all those, all those sorts of things. And the other thing that uh, Luke Lanaruma has to concern himself with is Kyle Shanahan is is regarded, and rightfully so, as one of the best in the league at at, uh, getting separation for players because of scheme, not because of physical ability. He schemes up guys that are just wide open. And he he finds weaknesses in defensive coverages that he utilizes. And it's not like guys are blowing assignments. He just finds... Uh, you know zones areas to take advantage of by film study and and run uh, a route combination accordingly he's very very clever with that
0: a year ago at this time we would have had a hard time identifying who George Kittle was he set the NFL record for yards receiving yards by a tight end last year 1377 he had 210 and a half against the Denver Broncos last
1: year what stands out when you watch George Kittle I, I like his chips. Oh, no, that's Kettle. But Kittle, <laughs> Kittle, Kittle is – I mean, the, the guy – here's a fifth-round pick out of Iowa that has just – I mean – and the, the thing that impressed me the most, he had more receiving yards than any tight end in NFL history, like you said. Three different quarterbacks. Three different quarterbacks thrown on the football. That's not, thats not you know, the easiest thing to do. But the one thing that you uh, you realize is every single one of them said, i got to find that guy. George Kittle became the primary, no matter who the quarterback was, in the progression, Kittle was like, eh. and and Kyle Shanahan realized what he had with Kittle, and he became a focal point in the progression of the route. So, um, yeah, he's he's somebody you know that in, uh, the tight ends that are in the league now they're they're too big for defensive backs. You know they have too big a catching radius, too big a body. They can win the contested catches, and they're too fast for linebackers. So Kittle Kittle falls into that department, and uh, you know you're gonna have to a lot of t- a lot of teams bracket him. They'll bracket him with a with a linebacker and a safety, a, you know a corner and a linebacker. If it's if it's nickel package, even, they'll detach him and they'll they'll uh, you know have two defensive backs on him. You know from time to time, Kittle's a guy that you have to look where he is in the formation and account for him. There's no question about it. Lap the San Francisco
0: 49ers defense forced four turnovers last week in a win at Tampa Bay. After coming away with seven takeaways all of last year. As a team, they had two interceptions all year last year. They had two pick sixes off Jameis Winston last week. How good is this 49ers D?
1: Uh, it's a heck of a lot better, I think. Last year, Dan, as you as you mentioned, they had two interceptions, uh, dead last in the league. 55 return yards, tied for worst in the league. In week one they had three interceptions, two of them were pick sixes for fifty seven yards. They've already returned interceptions for more yards than they did, you know, all of last season. Richard Sherman had one. Uh, that that's you know, that's not a surprise. But I think it starts up front. You know, they traded they traded for D Ford. Um, they've got Armstead. Buckner had twelve sacks last year, they draft Nick Boza. So they've got guys that can pressure the quarterback and, and that's where it starts. Um, Witherspoon one, the, each cornerback had a pick six. Sherman had one. Witherspoon had one. So, I, I think it starts with good pressure. And Jameis Winston has a propensity to throw him. Let's face it. I mean, he is he's the pick six king. I think Andy Dalton will take better care of the football, particularly, you know, at home, although Winston was at home. And uh, everybody's tearing their hair out, I'm sure, in Tampa Bay. But I, I th- this defense is, is something to, you know, concern yourself with. You have to uh, – you know, be very careful with the football, but you don't want um, get, to get to the point where you're afraid to take a chance on a big play. But you want to try to make the big play and avoid the big mistake, that's for sure.
0: Let's wrap up with your keys to the game.
1: Keys to the game. Well, first first key is the number 15, and that's because the Bengals left 15 points on the, on the, on the field in the red zone. They were 0 for 3 in the red zone. They were 0 for 1 in goal-to-go situations. Um... They had two field goals and Andy Dalton's fumble. So that's uh, 21 potential points and they get six of them. The other side of it, you know, Seattle was two for two. They had 14 points possible and they got them all. And they were one, for, uh, one for one in the, in the first and goal situation. So in the con- compressed condensed field there, they made more plays. They were more physical. They got it done. The Bengals have to do a better job in the red zone and, uh, Minus two is another key, and that's what the Bengals were in the turnover differential, although the last turnover wasn't. They called a fumble on Andy Dalton that was bogus. That was an incomplete pass, but they were still minus in the, in the turnover department, and, um, you know, they only had one takeaway. San Francisco, four takes, two gives. Two of their takes were pick sixes. Two, two, uh, three of the four takes were interceptions, two were pick sixes. Last year they had two interceptions on the season. <laughs> they, they, had, they got three in the first game. They got more than they had all year last year. So uh, they only had seven takeaways, and they got four in this football game. So the Bengals are going to have to have to mind their P's and Q's in terms of uh, taking care of the football. 49 is a, a staggering minus 25, the turnover department. Seattle was plus 15. They led the league. The last week's opponent, this week's opponent was minus 25, worse in the league. And then defense, like we talked about, Dan, you know, 46 of the 49 plays the, the defense handled brilliantly. They got 126 yards on 46 of the plays, 2.7 yards a play. Lou Anaruma did a great job of mixing five defensive linemen, six DBs. Three of them sometimes were safeties. You know, they had a 48 yard and 44 yard pass plays, the 44 yarder for a touchdown. Third and one, Carson squeaked out for 21 yards, but you can't take those three plays away. But 46 plays to hold an NFL offense run by Russell Wilson to 2.7 yards a play. That dog will hunt, man. They're going to win football games they keep doing that. The website Pro
0: Football Focus, which is based in downtown Cincinnati, grades every NFL player on every play in every game. And each week, they come out with a team of the week made up of the highest-graded players at every position. Four Bengals made it in Week 1. Let's start with Sam Hubbard, who had two sacks, two additional quarterback hits, and finished with 10 tackles. He was the only defensive lineman in the NFL with double-digit tackles in Week 1. Geno Atkins also made it as one of two interior defensive linemen, along with Grady Jarrett of the Falcons, although it's interesting to note that Andrew Billings of the Bengals got an even higher grade than Atkins. The fact that Gino is in for twice as many snaps as Billings probably explains why Atkins made the team of the week instead of his Bengals teammate. Punter Kevin Huber also made it. The hang time on Kevin's four punts averaged 4.51 seconds. The final Bengals player on the team of the week was a surprise, center Trey Hopkins. According to Pro Football Focus, he only allowed one hurry in 59 pass blocking snaps and also had the highest grade of any center on run blocking plays. I talked to Trey about that and much more. We're in the locker room with Bengals center Trey Hopkins, the number one ranked center in the NFL after one week according to Pro Football Focus.
2: I assume you saw that. What was your reaction? Uh, yeah, I got, I got a couple phone calls from people. Um, it, it, it was shocking. I mean, I felt like I played a, a pretty good game. Um, let other people notice what you know it's one of those things where to be to be said that you did so great and know exactly what you had to fix it's like it's like there's still so much room for improvement so that's kind of what you have to look forward to. you can't can't take the cheese as <laughs> so, you know. are you your own harshest critic oh 100 percent, 100 and i think i think that's most guys in this locker room because I, I think that's what gets you to this level is being your harshest critic because people don't pat you on the back all the time but you get, you have to realize that it's it's a lot of football. until <laughs> so you play 15 more regular season games, and I mean you, you have to be you have to be improving each and every week. You can't you can't fall back and say okay I had a pretty good game. So let, so I must have reached it. You no, know, it's it's been one week, <laughs> and there was so much more to fix in that game. You know. We're talking to Trey Hopkins.
0: Let's talk about how you guys handled the noise in Seattle because there were no false starts and I think someday my hearing loss will be traced to that game. It was so loud. Who deserves
2: the credit? I think everybody. I, re- I really do. I think starting with coach which uh, coach Taylor and coach Turner. I mean, since since we showed up in OTAs we've been working the snap count even not even having to use it, but each and every day, walking to that O-line room with Coach Turner, just going through the snap counts, hammering the snap counts at the beginning of each and every meeting. So it's it's really everybody on the offense is putting in a lot of time on just nailing down the snap count. That's that's one big advantage we have, and we have to take full advantage of it. And you didn't do the same
0: thing every time, which I found interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's another part of it. We have to we have to be able to use multiple things because again, you can't let a defense tee off on you and get into the same rhythm as you. You have to use it as an advantage. Talking to Trey Hopkins over the last few years, you've
0: started left guard, right guard, and center. What's the hardest thing about moving from spot to spot to spot?
2: <laughs> I, I don't I don't think there's there's one hardest thing. It's it's kind of just a mindset you have to have of okay. I have to be, or I guess you could say this, thing, you just have to be ready to play all the spots, I guess is the thing. You can't ever just focus in and be like, okay, when coach is giving out notes in the meeting, I can't just only write down left guard notes or only write down right guard. You have to know each and every person's responsibility and the, the corrections that they might get, and you're not even playing that position just because you never know when you'll get thrown into a different in a different spot and you're expected to perform well.
0: When you showed up for the off-season program with a new coaching staff, did you go into it with a mindset
2: that the slate is clean, the best man will win the job? Um, I mean, I think you always hear that, and I think you hear that each and every year. Um, but, I mean, this is the first year I guess we actually kind of saw it. And, um, and my, my mindset coming into the off-season, uh, coming from off-season, was just the same one I have every year. I mean, I put in the work during the offseason, during the months that we were off, and now it's just it's just up to me to just put it all out there and let the chips fall where they may, and, and, and this year they, they feel in my favor and just got to take advantage of it. Let's talk a little bit about the 49ers.
0: They traded for D Ford. They drafted Nick Bosa second overall. They've got DeForest Buckner in the middle who had 12 sacks last year. When I watched a little of their game against Tampa Bay last week, those guys were all over Jameis Winston. What stood out to you?
2: They definitely invested in the pass rush, and they definitely have it. Those guys are quick up the field. Everybody is up the field, fast, quick-twitch, explosive guys. And it's going to be a, it's going to be a another rough game for us up front. I mean, we've got to we've got to be stout. We've got to be quick with our feet and, and, and get in front of those guys and really hunker those guys down because they they definitely have talent up front. I got the sense before the Seattle game that you guys were really confident. Now I wonder, based
0: on how you dominated statistically, if that confidence becomes belief that this team is as good as you were hoping it might be.
2: I, I definitely think so, and that, that's just a reflection of, of Coach Taylor, just the, the confidence he has, and, and everybody I think over OTAs and through preseason camp is really bought in. We, we believe in what we're doing. We've seen the success of it, and, and, we, and we expect success, and we're also willing and, and able and eager to put in the work to ensure the success. I think it's the biggest thing. And and so you know I'm excited to see what this year brings for us. I think it'll be some great things. Last thing, were you really a substitute teacher in the off season? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I was in um, Ohio, Ohio Preparatory School off of Colerain, uh, Southwest Ohio Prep. Um, taught math and science for <laughs> the month of January. So that was that was a cool experience, just being with some some middle schoolers. Yeah. Did you tell the guys or kids that? You're an NFL player. Did you let them figure it out? Yeah, they knew it, and I just, I just don't think some of them. I'm pretty sure just didn't believe me at first, <laughs> until some of the va- the basketball kids came in and, and were like, "Yeah, we went and looked you up," and then everybody started to believe me, and it it became a a, a little bit more of a thing but yeah i let them know day one but it's one of those things where you don't listen to the substitute teacher when they're introducing (laughs) themselves on day one i don't expect to be any different now but but i had a great time i had a great time i love the school i love the faculty and the experience and i'm just really grateful for the principal their principal best um for giving me the opportunity i've got an eighth grader at Walnut Hills,
0: are you available as a math tutor if I need you? Can I can I pay you a few extra bucks? Sure, sure. bring it on. I think I think I remember man. Right best of luck this week. Thank you. That's Trey Hopkins. Despite my generous offer of a paid tutoring gig, Trey is doing just fine financially. The Bengals used a second round tender to hold on to him as a restricted free agent this offseason, meaning the fourth year pro who was undrafted coming out of the University of Texas, will make more than $3 million this season. Now time for this week's Know the Foe segment, as we do a deep dive into the Bengals' upcoming opponent with somebody that knows the team. This week, it's the 49ers radio play-by-play man Greg Papa, who was one year ahead of me at Syracuse University and was one of my biggest mentors. As a sophomore at Syracuse, Greg didn't sound like a college student. He sounded like a pro. And over the years, he has become a legend in the Bay Area, where at various times he has been the voice of the Oakland Raiders, the Oakland A's, the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco Giants, and now the 49ers. Greg joined Dave Lapham and me on the Bengals Game Plan Show, and we started our conversation by discussing that impressive resume.
3: I've lost all those jobs, Dan, over the years. <laughs> God, I, I, I think I worked for everybody in town. Now, wait a minute, you're, you're making this out like you were a freshman and I was a senior. I think I think technically you're older than me, so I, I tell people you're you're my mentor. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. Man. Uh,
0: well, I may look it.
3: You are only one year
0: older than me, so I guess I should yeah. clarify. But your first no. job out of college was voice of the Indiana Pacers. Wow! So that indicates yeah. how advanced you were as a college student.
3: That certainly helped that my father on the team. So uh, that was. That was that was good, but uh, how are you, Dave? Good to catch It's like an all-orange reunion today. I'm looking I'm forward to it. How
0: about that? Great, yeah.
3: Newhouse
1: yeah. School of Communication. Uh,
0: we've all done yeah, well, it's thank heavens. All right, let's talk about the matchup this Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. I was watching uh, the 49ers game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last Sunday. Your pass rush is legit. They had a D Ford. They drafted Nick Bosa, and they were all over. Jameis Winston in that game is that the strength of the team
3: without question that is the identity of the uh, 2019 San Francisco 49ers Dan Uh, I I saw D. Ford obviously all my years with the Raiders and the AFC West and it's even more you know David you see him get down to that four point stand and not do it standing up like he did in Kansas City and I was when I saw him do it because he didn't he didn't do anything in the uh, preseason he had a PRP injection he had a little knee tendonitis and then right before the start of the first game, they activated him. I saw him in that four-point stance, and I said, man, you were fast in Kansas City. Now you're just looking like a track star. And he said he actually was in the four-point stance in high school, in college, and he got the Kansas City, and Coach Sutton stood him up. So he is just so fast. I, Vaughn Miller's got an incredibly fast first step, but I think a lot of it is Ron anticipates the snap count. Uh, D will line up off sides a little bit too much like he did in the AFC title game last year against the right. Patriots, but when he gets to get off, uh, he's a track star, and then Nick on the other side, he reminds me so much of his brother, and I, I think he may even be better, and then you got DeForest Buckner inside, Dan, 12 sacks, and Eric Armstead, and they're deep. They got five former number one draft picks right. in their D-line when you include Solomon Thomas, and when they and they got, you know, Sheldon Day's a good player, and D.J. Jones and Ronald Blair, but when they, when they have D 4 at one end and Nick Bosa at the other, and the two, I call them the tall trees from Oregon, uh, DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead inside, those guys are like six seven six eight. It is really impressive. So your offensive line is going to have to be ready on Sunday.
1: Yeah, and I also saw we were doing some uh, tape for our website uh, showing some plays of the 49ers. They had Buckner out at defensive end, and, and they, yeah. uh, they kicked Bosa inside at defensive tackle. And you know he he was basically an offset nose on the other side of the formation away from Buckner. They ran a little twist. It was on the interception, one of the pick sixes right. that Winston had. Yep. So they'll they'll transpose, they'll they'll interchange these uh, great pass rushers and see who's uh, who's the best matchup for him, right? I mean, I can beat this yeah. guy easier than I can beat that guy, kind of thing.
3: Yeah. The one you're talking about was the screen at the end of the game. It was that a yep. screen pass? Yep. And yep. they yeah they they lined up Nick inside. Nick is a powerful guy, like his brother Joey Dave. He could yep. easily line up inside, and they could put Armstead outside. And if you notice on one snap, they, they had D. Ford up at a two-point, and he lined yep. up over a guard. I yep. mean, you could move them all around. So, uh, I mean, in theory, Ford and Bosa are your edge guys, and Buckner and Armstead are inside. But they both got skills to move all over the front. So, uh, And then if you also notice on, on Richard Sherman's pick six, uh, that was his own blitz. They dropped Solomon Thomas back. Right. So they'll, you know, they'll they'll play with it a little bit, and they're 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 not playing as much cover three, a little more cover two on Sunday. So this defense, which was not very good last year, and I'm being kind, and Jameis is not he's he's not a great player right now. We'll see what he can do the rest of the year, and Andy will be more, you know, clued in. But uh, th- this defense looks pretty good one game out. There's no question.
1: So last year, only two interceptions, seven total takeaways. That had to be crazy. No interceptions by cornerbacks. In this opener, you get three interceptions, two pick sixes by cornerback. So, I mean, destroyed that already. Um, And and then Ford, like you mentioned, Ford, this guy, nine forced fumbles since uh, 2017. The only guy that's got more is Aaron Donald. And and he's forced, in in 2018, he forced seven turnovers from pressure, seven turnovers himself. The 49ers had seven turnovers as a team. So, I mean, getting a guy like that, I mean, it's like, that's that's incredible. I mean, one by trade, one by draft. They've yeah. Done a, they've done a good job of loading it up front.
3: And they've spent it a lot. You know, to do, Nick, he used the second pick overall in the draft. And then right. to get D, they traded their second-round pick next year. Right. And Justin Houston was sitting out there. They could have bought him, but they wanted D Ford. And as far as what, you know, going to get the ball, you know, I, in the AFC West I saw it. And Khalil Mack's uh, Defensive Player of the Year season in 2016 – and when Vaughn Miller, you know, what, what these guys are doing, Dave, they're not trying to sack the quarterback. They're trying to sack the football. Yep. They're going specifically for the ball. And I've talked to D about it. Look at the ball, look at the sack he got on, on Jameis. Uh, he was just going for the ball. He was reaching. So if you don't put two hands on the ball, you know, they're going to go get the ball. Because when they, you know, you want the sack, but the ultimate thing is the hat trick, the strip sack. And if you force the fumble, Right out of the quarterback's hands, you got two there, and then you want to go recover the fumble and get the hat trick.
0: Yep. Great radio voice of the 49ers, Greg Papa, is our guest. Let's talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. All he does is win, 9-2 and two and 11 NFL starts, but he didn't look great last week. 166 passing yards in the game. Is it just rust and dust as he comes back from the torn ACL?
3: Yes, I think his rhythm is totally off. and He's just not played a lot of football. He only had 10 starts coming into the year. He had those two and. New England, it really was one and a half. He played so well. He was supposed to play four when Brady got popped for the, you know, bogus deflategate, but he had a great first game, came back and beat Arizona on the road on that Sunday night, and then he had an amazing game against Miami, but he held the ball too long one play, and Tico Alonso lit him up, and he hurt his shoulder, and he lost that job. His took over, and then he had the five starts here at the end of 17 when they traded for him. But that, that year, they kind of just uh, – simplified the offense and kind of let him run what he could run. It wasn't the full game plan. And then last year he got hurt, you know, week three in Kansas city at the end. So he's just not played enough Uh, during the off season because he had the, the, uh, the surgery on the knee in early October. They didn't clear him. He was just doing seven on seven. He didn't really get, you know, 11 on 11 until training camp. And he had the one bad preseason game in Denver. He bounced back and played a good half in Kansas city, but there's going to be a point where he's going to get his rhythm. It's just not there yet. So, But their defense is strong, and they were able to win on Sunday this fight. He made a couple of big throws. The one to Richie James Jr. The, out of the slot for the touchdown right after the half was a great throw. Yeah. I think he missed like five or six throws. And what I'm seeing it Jimmy, when he's right, is highly accurate. I mean pinpoint accurate. And I think he's been a little bit off. Some of it's on him, and some of it is just the synchronicity with the wide receivers since he, since he has missed so much time. And they got young receivers. they got Marquise Goodwin, the only vet on this team. The other guys are really young.
1: Like you guys said, 166 yards passing, the fewest passing yards in any game that he was a starter. And, and he had yeah. a pick six. You know, Winston had yeah. two, but, but Jimmy Garoppolo had one as well. Tell us about yeah. that play. Was that just a misread? What happened there?
3: Well, that was really a bad play all the way around. I mean, just inexcusable for a veteran quarterback. And I know he's young, but, you know, he was there with Brady, and he's watched enough football, you know, being a backup. But what they did, they motioned Kevin Coleman out, and they got a matchup. And Coleman, I think, is an okay route runner as a back. Jerick McKinnon, who's out the year, is much better. But they had Coleman motioned out, and, and uh, Tampa played his own. And they had Vernon Hargraves, the corner out there, and I think Jimmy, Dave, read it like it was cover three yeah. and thought he would stay on top. Uh, he had a better matchup in the slot. He had Marquise Goodwin against the linebacker. But for whatever reason, to the long side of the field, the ball was on the right hash mark, and he threw back across the entire width of the field, wow. from hash to sideline at least. And Hargraves just drove on the ball, and it was in the air too long. And Kevin Coleman actually hurt his ankle on the first play of the game. When you watch it, I think a, you know, a, a more experienced wide receiver, or even Kevin, if he's fully healthy, would have gotten back and broken that ball up. But he he was late to transition, and right. Hargraves just picked it. It was a bad play. I mean, it was a really bad play. But uh, Jimmy was able to bounce back after that and make enough throws to win the game.
0: Yeah. A couple more questions for the voice of the 49ers, Greg Pop uh, Greg, we're at a sports bar here in Cincinnati, Game On Sports Bar. we got a couple hundred people with us probably. A year ago at this time, there's not a person in this room that had ever heard of George Kittle and now he might be the best tight end in the NFL. How did that happen?
3: Uh, well, his rookie year, he had a lot of injuries, and he just played true. I mean, from head to toe, he had everything, and his numbers were modest. And then at the end of the year, Dan, John Lynch, the GM, and Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, challenged him, and he responded. I mean, the guy ran a 4 5 out of Iowa. The only time – I didn't know who he was at all, like you – uh, and I was watching C.J. Beathard after the 49ers drafted Beathard in the third round that year, and I knew they drafted Kittle, so I mean, I'm watching the quarterback. I'll take a look at the tight end, and he was just mauling people as an inline wide yeah. blocker. I mean, yeah. he's just trucking people, and then, you know, I didn't know he ran. He ran a 4 five, 2 and he blocks like that? Jesus. And he's just he, – I, I don't know how if you've you heard interviews with him, but he is a trip. He's a little bit like Gronk, but younger. He's a lot of fun. He loves the game, and I think now, I mean, going into this game, Debo Samuel will have a lot on his plate, certainly in your game, but I'm sure uh, you guys got to think about doubling him. I mean, you got to really – he's the guy that Jimmy looks to, you know, like Rivers for years looks to Gates and Mahomes and Alex before when things got tight, they looked to Kelsey. There's certain guys you got to look to, especially on third down. Uh, Kittle's going to be the guy. And I think, you know, with a lot of injuries in the wide receiver room, Trent Taylor's down, Jalen Hurd's down. They're not going to play on Sunday. You're almost looking at George Kittle as a detached uh, tight end and more of a wide receiver than he is a tight end. I, Zach Ertz I know well. I actually saw him in high school play a lot at Vista near my home and watched him at Stanford. Uh, and Travis Kelce is just a great, great player. But they don't block like this guy. I, I think when you look at all components of tight end play, you can make the point that George is the best tight end in pro football right now.
1: Yeah, fifth round pick out of Iowa. If you're a tight end in Iowa, you better block or you don't play. And so, yeah, how about Hopkinson? How about yeah, Hopkinson? How good right. And that, guy. I mean, it's like, okay, well, who, who's the tight end that has more receiving yards in a single season than anybody in the history of football? Oh no, not Incredible. Bob Gronkowski, not Gonzalez, not. The, it's Kittle. It's on, And Kittle yeah, had eight. 870 yards after catch, which led the NFL any position. So, I mean, we're watching tape, and he looks faster than me than four five two. He looks sub four five. Yeah. he's pulling away so from everybody. I, I mean, it, it's oh. like, and it's like, and then and then you have a, co- a a coach that can scheme guys open so well. He's he's wide right. open, and he flies. I mean, the guy's unbelievable.
3: Well, his dad had Shannon Sharp in, in Denver. I mean, they know how to scheme. You know how this thing works. It's an outside zone, and all the complementary movement off of it and they're constantly dragging tight ends yep. but with George he doesn't necessarily be the first read you know it's a it's a layered level passing attack he could be the second read deeper downfield yep. uh he's just a tremendous player and he's a hoot the guy's got a great personality I mean Jimmy because he's a star on offense and Joe Staley and then Richard Sherman on defense but I th- I think in time here uh if he continues to play and he stays healthy you know George Kittle could be the face of this franchise
0: And just for the record, Greg's father did not own the Indiana Pacers. He got that job right out of college by being that good. That's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a minute, please give it a rating or share a comment. Five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.